I read about a story of an atheist in Italy who hated Christianity. He didn't believe in God, and he definitely did not believe in the resurrection. When he made, when he died, he made plans um, not to be involved in the resurrection. He, he, he wanted to miss the resurrection. Now, he didn't believe in God and he didn't believe in the resurrection, but he wasn't exactly sure about it. So when he died, he uh, had a very heavy, large gravestone put over his grave to protect his body. And then on top of the gravestone, he had these words, I don't want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. You know, just in case God couldn't read. Now, over a hundred years passed, and for some reason, a little crack developed in the, in the gravestone over time. And then over more time, the crack got wider, and eventually, somehow, an acorn slipped into the crack. And then, out of that crack came an oak tree, a giant oak tree that totally demolished the gravestone. Now, God can cause an acorn to split open a gravestone. And God will one day raise this man from the dead. And one day he will meet his maker. And one day he will stand before Jesus about the life that he chose to live. And that's what our passage is about today. But that's not all that it's about. And so uh, we're going to start today um, with the issue in the passage. And let me just read a few verses of the passage to, um, I'm going to be in John chapter 5, beginning at verse 19. And I'm going to read uh, verses 19 through uh, 24. So Jesus gave them this answer, verse 19. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom it pleases him to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Okay. Let's just be uh, reminded a little bit about uh, what the context is in John chapter 5. Previously in John chapter 5, if you remember uh, a few weeks back, Jesus raised a man on the Sabbath day, a man who had been um, an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem and he healed this man, which created some controversy with the religious leaders of Israel in Jerusalem. 
And uh, so here's the, here's uh, um, what happened. Let me just read that previous context, uh, verses, beginning at verse 16. So this is after the healing of the, of the invalid at the pool of Bethesda. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. God doesn't take a day off. Yes, he rests, but he doesn't take a day off. He doesn't stop the universe. He doesn't stop what he's doing. Neither did Jesus. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And that's what got him into trouble. Uh, two reasons that infuriates the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He broke the Sabbath law by healing a man. That's what they thought. And he called God his own father, making himself equal with God. And they got that right. They understood what he had been saying. But Jesus did not break God's law. Jesus um, violated the religious leaders' extra rules about God's law. And uh, so... We come to the passage today, um, and um, we see the relationship of the father and the son. Now, this passage is easy to overlook if you're just reading through the Gospel of John, because it's not a part of a cool story. I mean, it, it kind of it is, but Jesus is teaching. And here, he's giving more information about his relationship with the father than any other place in the Bible. It's a bit abstract. It's important. And I, I hope to help us to see that a little bit today. Uh, we, we see the son's actions in verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. So what Jesus is doing, he's defending um, what they're, why, why they're upset with him. He's defending why he would heal on the Sabbath or why he would call God his own father. He says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. He has a super close relationship with his father, and he takes his cues from his father. He operates with the same nature as his father. Um, he has the, an identical mind with his father. They, they, and then uh, we see, because whatever the father does, the son also does. So uh, you probably know that in the first century and in ancient times, it was pretty normal uh, for kids to kind of grow up and do what their parents did. Um, if if uh, your father had a trade, uh, it was very common for the son to learn the trade and do the very same thing. And, and in fact, it was just pretty, pretty normal. And so uh, we read in the scriptures that Jesus was called um, the son of a carpenter, uh, referring to his human father. 
We don't know that for sure that Jesus had carpentry skills, but we assume that because he was the son of a carpenter, and that was just normal, to do the same work as the, as the father did. Same work. Um, and what Jesus is doing here um, really fits with that context. He's doing the work of his heavenly father. Same work. Now, in all our culture today, um, this is a little more harder to understand in that we're, we're no longer limited by what our parents did. My, my father was a letter carrier, the job that he had the most in his life and that he retired from, and I ended up being a pastor. Never even thought about being a letter, letter carrier. Um, and how about if you have kids? Did you ever have small kids? I, I once had small kids, but it's so easy how quickly they pick up something that mom or dad does, and then they just do it. You know, little girls, um, they watch mom take care of the family, and sometimes little girls, I have to be careful not to type everybody, stereotype. Um, sometimes little girls will play dolls and they will dress dolls and they will change diapers and they will uh, make dinner and use, use plates and forks and knives and, and cook for the family, imaginary food. And um, that's just what we kind of, it just happens. And, and little boys, they watch their dads and not the stereotype, but dads often fix things around the house. Some people wish that dads fix things. <laughs> but, um, and so little boys like to get tools and they like to fix things and they like to watch dad and pull up to dad when he's working and see if he could help out. Um, there's just this imitation of, of, our, of our parents. I don't recall our, our girls ever wanting to imitate anything that I did. Um, but I, I remember on one of the things, you know, being raised in a pastor's home, there's kind of unusual traditions, but um, we had one when we moved to Wisconsin, and that was on Saturday night. For some reason, our kids wanted to play church. Now, our oldest daughter was off to college, so I don't know that she played church much, but our little kids wanted to play church. And so one of them would lead the singing, and then one of them would get a Bible and preach, you know, like five years old, seven years old. And uh, that was just one of the things that they did. Now, nobody said you, sh you should play church, but they just, they just wanted to do that. Um, Jesus was able perfectly to do what his father did. In verse 20, we see the father's transparency. Um, as we continue to learn about this relationship of the father and the son. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. This is a picture of a very intimate relationship between the father and the son. The father is totally transparent with the son. Um, he's not like a human father. Uh, sometimes uh, dads don't like their kids to know all about them. You know, sometimes they try to make things look better than they really are. And they, 
and they would not want the kids to know. They would be embarrassed if the kids knew some of the things about their father. But the, but the heavenly father is totally transparent with Jesus. There's this perfect, intimate relationship that they have. And then Jesus says, yes, and he will show him uh, even greater works than thee. The father loves the son and shows him all he does. And yes, he, the father, will show the son even greater works than these. Um, what are the greater, what are the, what the, what are the, what does these stand for? These, what's going to be greater than these? Well, one of those works would be the man that was healed uh, at the pool of Bethesda. And then you remember there was, right before that, in chapter 4, there was the, the royal uh, official's son was healed in Capernaum. And if we go back to John chapter 2, there, uh, Jesus turned the water into wine. But the Father is going to show greater works than these. And there's much more to come in the ministry of Jesus. There'll be many more people healed. And many people will be free from spiritual slavery and demonization. And more than one person will be raised from the dead. And then there will be Jesus dying on the cross paying for our sins and being raised from the grave, demonstrating his power over sin and his power over death and his power over Satan. Greater works than these. So that you will be amazed, Jesus says, so that you will be amazed because his works. Remember, signs, miracles are attention getters and they point to something beyond, something bigger. It points to the message and it points to the messenger and Jesus is the messenger and he's the Messiah and he's God's promised one. He's the holy one. He will be the savior of the wor world and he will be the eternal king, Lord of lords and king of kings. And these works that Jesus is doing is pointing people to who he is. And um, so that you will be amazed, so that these works will have an impact. They will draw attention to Jesus and his message. Um, it's because of these things that the Jew, Jewish leaders want to persecute Jesus. They are infuriated by what Jesus has said about his relationship with the Father. He is acting like a blasphemer. He is saying he is equal with God, and they can't hear anymore. That is enough. They are done. Now, uh, you remember that in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, we call it the prologue because what happens in John 1 through 18 is um, sort of an introduction to the entire book. And all the main themes in the gospel of John come in those first 18 verses. And if we look at John uh, chapter 1, verse 18, um, John writes, No one has ever seen God, God the Father. 
but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. As Jesus does the works of God, he is revealing the Father. He is making the Father known. He is making God known to humanity. And John 1.18 is exactly what that's about. In verse 21, we see the Son's creative power as we continue to talk about the relationship of the Father and the Son. Verse 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, this is the prerogative of the Father. His Jewish audience here would not argue that. God is the author of life. He's the author of life and death. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Um, Jesus, and this is what Jesus is saying about himself. Jesus can give life. Jesus can give spiritual life and spiritual birth. He also can give physical life and physical birth. But he's talking about ultimately the spiritual life. And he, he can give it to who he's pleased to give it. Um, Jesus is the creator. Remember that? Let me go back one more time to John chapter 1. Remind you, this is how the Gospel of John begins. In the beginning was the Word. And we know in the context the Word refers to Jesus, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The beginning when? In the beginning, John, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He's the creator of the universe. Um, and so... He gives physical life, he's the creator, and he is in a cl uh, very close relationship with the Father from the beginning and before the beginning. In verses 22 and 23, we see the Father's trust in his, in his Son. Um, look at verse 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. The Father trusts His Son. Uh, here's a question for us. If God the Father can trust His Son, can you trust His Son? That's really practical. The Father can do it. It's okay with Him. Jesus is trustworthy. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Jesus, the Son of God, is and will be the judge of all people because the Father has given that to him. 
Why? Verse 23, why did the Father do this? That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, you know, we come at the Bible, uh, most of us, with some kind of Trinitarian background. We already got this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit thing. At least a lot of, a lot of people do. But not so in the first century. Not so in the Jewish context. They believed there was only one God. They were right. But they did not understand the concept of the plurality in the God, Godhead. And we take that for granted. That there was this equality and unity and oneness in the Godhead. Um, and so... For example, the Jewish religious leaders were very comfortable to honor God, but not Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, if you can't honor the Son, you are not honoring God. You are dishonoring the Father if you dishonor the Son. Um, in verses 24 through 27, we, we, we continue this, and, and we talk about the, the authority of the Son over life. And we start with his authority over, our, uh, over salvation, verse 24. The Father has delegated authority uh, to the Son over salvation. Um, Jesus has authority over all of salvation. Jesus has authority over your salvation. You place your faith in Christ. You're saved from the penalty of your sin. Jesus has authority over all of your salvation and everyone else's salvation. Let's look at 24. Now, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Here's what Jesus has to say. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Um, so let's break this down. There are three parts and one condition. The condition is whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. So... Um, Jesus is saying, whoever hears God's word and believes um, what, the, what God has said about the Son, that's a condition. Do you believe what God has said about his Son, Jesus? And ultimately, that he came into this world and he would live this perfect life without sin and he would become a substitute for us and he would pay for the penalty of, of sin for the entire world. A humongous, unbelievable penalty. Billions of people. An overwhelming penalty for sin. And the infinite God, Jesus Christ, who gave his life, is infinitely valuable, way more to cover all of the sin penalty. And whoever hears my word and believes what God said about the Son, here we go. That's the condition. Do you believe what God said about his Son? And here's the promise, has eternal life. 
Now, you've heard me say this if you've been around a while. You know, the very verbal tenses of Scripture are inspired by God. There are three verbal tenses. It's kind of an unusual. Three verbal tenses in one verb, past, present, and future. And here, um, has eternal life. Is that past or is it present or is it future? You should have paid attention in grammar. <laughs> Most of you did. Has eternal life. Present tense, right now. If you believe right now, you have eternal life. And in fact, it's the instant that you believe in Christ and his death onto the cross as a payment for your sin that you are given eternal life. That's not something that starts when you die. It starts when you believe. And it's not just a ticket to heaven. It's a life right now. It's a spiritual dimension. You become a new creature in Christ. Right now. Okay? Present tense. How long is eternal life? Tell me about that. So... Why do we want to put limits on it? Well, it's eternal until I mess up. That's not what that says. It was a gift. I, I didn't deserve it. I never earned it. I, I'll never earn it. I'll never be good enough to keep it. It was totally a gift from God. Okay? Has eternal life. Okay, let's go to the second part. And will not be judged. This person who has believed has eternal life and will not be judged. What's is that past, present, or future? Will not be judged. Future. Very good. Excellent. Thank you. Future. That is a promise from Jesus. If you have believed, you will not be judged. It is not about your performance. Yes, I think Christ followers seek to follow Christ. And so that affects the choices they make. And if they have resources to live victoriously, they can walk and follow Jesus. Not perfectly. We all fall down. But will not be judged, will not be condemned, will not face the consequences of sin, will not face eternal separation from God in hell. That is a promise from Jesus to those who believe. Okay, part three. But has crossed over from death to life. Now, we've, we've done future and we've done present. So what do you think this might be? Past. All right. Good. Thank you. Has crossed over. Already happened. It happened when you believed. It's not like, well, I hope when I get there to the end that everything's going to work out. Has crossed over. That's why I love the bridge illustration when I share the gospel. Because it pictures this verse has crossed over. Once I've placed my faith in Christ, I'm not standing on the brink. I'm not standing on the edge of hell. I've crossed over to, to something new. No, I'm not perfect. But I have a spiritual dimension that I've never had before. Has crossed over from death to life. Jesus has changed my eternal trajectory. 
and he's changed yours if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. From death to life. Um, I have a little pet peeve. Um, I, you know, our culture has been fascinated by zombies and uh, vampires. I know Christians are fascinated by zombies and vampires. Um, I'm not your judge, but um, when you think about the focus on death and the curiosity we have with the ugly and the scary, that's where the enemy dabbles. That's where he wants to mess with our minds. And we get, I mean, it's so innocent. It's just a TV show or just, you know, just be careful because that's about death and it's not about life. Jesus is for life. He gives life. And the whole resurrection thing, you know, when you something comes back from the dead, it's kind of fascinating. It's just a mimic of the truth of what Jesus did and what he's going to do. Okay, that's my pet peeve. John 3, 36. Um, Jesus said this earlier. We looked at it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Right now, present tense. Promise. Whoever believes, but who rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Um, so everybody has a choice. And it's, what do you do with Jesus? Um, what will you do with God's Son? Will you trust Him? Will you place your faith in Him? Will you believe in Him and what He's done for you? Are you going to ignore Him? That's called rejection. Um, the Bible describes uh, humanity in this way. All of humanity are sinners. We, all of humanity, every one of us, except for Jesus Christ, has failed God's standards of perfection. Be, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, we failed in our attitudes and our actions, things that have dishonored God. And there are consequences uh, for our sin, for our failure of God's standards. And Romans 6.23 reminds us the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin, humanity's sin is uh, death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. Jesus called it hell. And then the good news is, that's bad news. The good news is, for God so loved the world, he, he gave his one and only son, John 3.16, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for this. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's why he came. You know, the death of Christ is important. If you, if you come around here, you're going to hear about it a lot because it's central to the Bible. It's central to the message of the gospel. And um, Jesus took our place. He, he, he took what I deserved, death, condemnation, and the penalty of sin was paid for by him. I don't deserve it. 
We don't deserve it. But that good news is, if we just believe and trust him, everything can change. We can receive forgiveness. We can get a fresh start. Um, we can get a, a real spiritual do-over. Verses 25 and 26, uh, we see Jesus' authority to give life. Uh, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come, Jesus says, when, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now here, Jesus refers to those who are dead in their sins. He's not referring to physical death. That could be a possibility, but he's referring to something different here, as he often did. He often, when he spoke, he left things open, a little bit open-ended. Sometimes that can be, be interpreted accurately both ways. But here I think he's talking about um, spiritual, uh, a spiritual birth, a, a spiritual conversion. A time is coming. And it's now come. Right now, it's here when the dead, those who are dead in their trespasses and sin, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will live because they will respond by faith. Um, verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in his self. The Father and the Son are for life. This is the very nature of the Father to have life in himself. And the Father has granted that to the Son to have life in himself. They have the same nature. Uh, they give life. They give life now. Spiritual life. To live, it's not just, you know, it's not just eternal life insurance. It's a life to live your best life right now. The life that can honor God right now. A life empowered and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 27, his authority to judge, speaking of Jesus' authority to judge, verse 27, and he, the Father, has given him, Jesus the Son, authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. This Jesus who walks in the land of Israel in the first century has been given the authority to judge. <laughs> no problem no problem so um, he has given authority to judge because he is the son of man why is that a big deal Jesus is the son of man why is that a big deal what does it mean that he is the son of man well Jesus is the promised one. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. You've seen this, if you've been around, you've seen this several times. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with clouds of heaven. So, this is an unusual picture. Heaven, there are clouds, and there's one like the son of man. He approached the Ancient of Days. Now, that sounds a little unusual to us. 
I'll tell you what, the Jewish people understood this clearly. This was a reference to God the Father, the Ancient of Days. Um, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. So this Son of Man is brought right into the presence of the Heavenly Father. Next slide. He was given authority. Oh, there it is. He was given authority, glory, that's what we see in John chapter 5, and sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. It's going to be an eternal dominion, an eternal kingdom. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It is an indestructible kingdom. Um, Jesus is saying he's the one. Jesus is saying, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, I'm the one that went into the Father's presence. I'm the one the Father gave this authority and power to and dominion and kingdom over all people. Verses 28 through 30. We're going to land the plane here. The authority of the Son over final judgment. His authority over the resurrection of the dead, 28 and 29. More information. Jesus says to the, these leaders, he's defending himself, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. They'll hear the voice of the Son of Man and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus knows the future and he sees this uh, in time and space. He is not talking about conversion. He's not talking about coming to faith in Christ and be given eternal life and a new spiritual dimension. Now he's talking about physical death. He's talking about people dead in their graves. He's talking about final judgment. It's pictured in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He's clearly identifying himself before these leaders of, that he is the promised Messiah. The point is, one day Jesus will speak the word. That's all he'll have to do. Just say the word. Just like he did in healing the official's son. Just say the word and he was healed. One day Jesus will say, I don't know what words he's going to use. I know that when he went to Lazarus' tomb in John chapter 11, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man walked out of the tomb. That's all he has to do is say the words, come forth. And dead bodies in the final resurrection will be raised everywhere. Now, Jesus isn't teaching all there is to know about eschatology or future things. He's not talking about all of the events. He's making a very general description here of the resurrection. 
And then we come to uh, verse 30, and we see his alignment with the Father. He says, but by myself, I can do nothing. The Father and the Son, they, they work together. They're not in opposition. You see, the Jewish audience sees Jesus as rebelling against God, as being disobedient, as being a blasphemer, as being the most evil person. And Jesus is saying, by myself, I can do nothing. I'm not working independently uh, with, of the Father. He says, I judge only as I hear. My judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus' decisions about judgment are not independent of his Father. They are the same as his Father. They are like-minded. And look at verse 30 again. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. And, and we saw that earlier, I think, way back in verse 19. That by himself, Jesus can do nothing. He cannot act independently of his Father. What can we use as a takeaway? Jesus could not act independently of his Father. He was totally aligned with his Father. It reminds me of something that Jesus will teach later in John chapter 15, verse 5. And uh, you will remember this, uh, many of you will. And Jesus uses this um, agricultural metaphor, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. And Jesus is saying, okay, my followers, your life comes from me. I'm the vine. As you are connected with me, you will have nourishment. You will have health. You will have um, the life that I promised you. And um, stay close with me in your walk. Stay aligned with me, and you'll bear much fruit. You'll have impact. You'll have growth. You'll have maturity. You will be becoming all that God wants you to be. And then he says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said he could do nothing apart from the Father. And he wants you and me to be totally aligned with him. He is Lord, and I am his servant. I am not Lord. My life, not not to be about all my wants. It ought to be about, what does he want for me? How can I honor him? How can I grow as a Christ follower and produce the life and the impact around me that he wants me to have. And it comes from a close, intimate walk with Jesus, just like Jesus had an intimate walk with his Father. In Revelation chapter 22, in uh, verses 12 and 13, Jesus also said this, coming to the, the end of the Bible, not the last verse, but toward the end, 
Jesus said, look, I'm coming soon. You know, he's coming back. He's coming for us. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. Um, he's our judge. He's our master. He's our Lord. And, and, and all authority has been given to him. And he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the, the first letter of the Greek al alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the God of the beginning and the end. He's the creator from Genesis chapter 1. And he gave you life. And all things will be summed up in Jesus. Um, and he is the one who will pronounce final judgment on everything. Now, the great thing is, we need not be fearful, but worshipful. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Father, thank you uh, for the words of Jesus from John chapter 5 as we, we think about some of those difficult words that are hard to understand uh, without some significant thought. 